Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus, who is the the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter, the one who made complete the thing that we trust in for salvation, for eternity, for forgiveness. Dear Christian friends, our bodies have an amazing ability, right? This amazing ability to take sensory input, and, and our primary sense is our eyes, right? We see millions and billions of things a day, and we take that input, and it goes into our brains, and in a microsecond, it takes all those variables and all those permutations and computations and spits out to our body commands. Do this, move there, go here, breathe, right? It's what allows baseball players to swing a bat at something moving 90 plus hours and curving and be able to hit it. It's what allows tennis players to do the same thing. It's what allows basketball players to be able to shoot from a distance. It's what allows football players to be able to to throw a ball at a target that's moving downfield and be able to make an impossibly precise throw, right? But not just, this isn't just like precision athletes or highly tuned athlete kind of stuff. This is, this is what you and I do every day. It's what allows us to drive our cars on the road with other maniacs. I mean drivers. Because they're maniacs, right? And not die every single time we drive out of our driveway. It's what allows you as you walk down the sidewalk and you see that crack to not just keep walking in the straight line and roll your ankle, but to Take a step off to the side and go around it. It's what enables you to use your phone. It's what enables you to to write, to fix things, to cook, to do all the things that we do, and we do just by nature, out of habit, routinely, every single day. Which is what makes texting and driving so dangerous. We all know it's bad, right? I mean that we know that we can really only, our our brain can only compute one thing that our eyes are looking at. We saw that in the children's message, right? As soon as their eyes couldn't look at the thing they were supposed to be walking towards or walking on, they wavered a little bit. It was hard to stay on that line. And we know this, right? That's why texting and driving is bad, because your brain can only compute one thing. It's what your eyes are looking at. And so if you take your eyes off the road and look at your phone, well, you might get that message. You might be able to to speak or tap out a quick response, but you're not able to process what's coming ahead of you on the road. We all know that's bad, right? But what's even worse is that first time when the phone dings and you go, oh, oh, I I gotta look at that. I know what that is and it's really important and we justify it and we excuse it and we look and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and again, and again, and pretty soon, we do it without even thinking about that, and you know what we call that? A habit. And that habit, in particular, can have devastating consequences on our lives. See, because that's the thing about habits. They're just like these really little things, but they, have, they can have a big impact. In fact, it's maybe why 
you really don't start a lot of habits because, or at least you don't think you do. A lot of positive habits, a lot of habits towards this goal or that goal because you think, how is walking for 10 minutes a day going to help me lose 20 pounds? Because I've been walking 10 minutes a day for like three days and I haven't lost a single pound yet. Because we expect the result right away, right? But the thing about habits is, is what we talked about last week, that compound effect. And it's really, as a review, it's our first takeaway this morning. Ethan, can you help me out? My clicker's not working. Thank you. That small steps, repeated over time, lead to big results. That's what makes habits powerful, is the small steps over and over and over and over again. They lead to these big, big results. But there are actually a few habits that people who study habits and write about habits and whatever, they call these keystone habits. And a keystone habit is, is a habit that's, that you put in place in your life that affects almost every other area of your life. That a change in this one component changes the patterns in so many other areas of your life. I actually saw somebody brought in the book by Admiral McRaven. Maybe you remember or heard the speech. It went viral a couple of years ago. If you want to set out to change the world, make your bed. Make your bed every day. That if you don't make your bed, you aren't going to change the world. Because it's one of those keystone habits that, that this Changes this, that results in this, that this and this and this and this and this, right? Now, I don't know all about making your bed as saving the world, but there are habits that are so powerful, they have this ripple effect, this compounding effect in your life. And there are lots of authors who have written blogs and books about habits, but there is one who wrote about habits that understood probably better than most, not just the idea of a habit, but the understanding, a real, true understanding of the human condition. He understood why habits are so powerful and so important for people and especially for Christians. His name was Paul. He was a first century Christian who, by the direction and under the wisdom of God, wrote letters to all these different Christian churches. And that wasn't the, the case, though, always for Paul, because he wasn't raised Christian. He, wasn't, he didn't start out his life in the Christian faith. He started out in the Jewish faith. And as a part of that, he was raised that there are certain things you needed to do. And so he had put into place these habits in his life. He had built walls around God's commands, and he guarded them zealously, eagerly uh, going after it with everything he had, that he wasn't going to even come close to breaking that command or getting, getting even close to stretching that rule. He was eager in how he lived his Jewish customs, his Jewish faith. He was dedicated day in and day out. He had put these habits into place and he lived them. As far as he was concerned, he checked every box of what would make God love and favor someone. And he said as much. In a different letter than the one we're going to take a look at this morning, 
he wrote this to the Philippians. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had put into place habits that he was sure would guarantee God's love and God's favor. The problem with that is, there is nothing, no habit that you can do that is so well-intentioned or so powerful that earns God's love or God's favor. There is nothing that any human being can do that fixes that relationship with God. And Paul learned that in a, in a really powerful way as God presented the truth to him. The truth that Jesus is the Savior. The truth that his forgiveness and his salvation is 100% a gift. That it cannot be earned. And Paul learned that truth. And it blew up all of his self-righteous habits, all of his self-serving living And instead, it gave him this new perspective and he put this habit into place because he now saw God and he he now saw the world in a completely different way. And it's a habit that he wants, not just you and me, but all Christians really to understand. It's what we see this morning in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. See, Paul understood now that he had been living in darkness, that all of the things he had been doing, even what he thought was right and good, obeying, 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 doing, 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 that really his heart was living in darkness just like every other human heart in this world by nature, is is born in the darkness of sin and born broken in sin. And into that darkness, God shined a light. His light. Jesus, who is the light of the world, shined into that darkness, the darkest recesses of our hearts, and he shined the light of forgiveness, the light of peace, the light of hope. And that's why Paul writes in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So this gift, this light, Jesus, forgiveness, hope, peace, everything that comes through Jesus that we have by faith, this is the world's greatest treasure. It is the priceless treasure. And where does God store it? Not in a vault. Not in heaven where none of us can touch it. He puts it into you and to me. This amazing, priceless, unrivaled treasure that changes lives, that gives eternity, God has put that treasure into you. But notice how he, what he calls you, right? He calls us 
jars of clay. And he does so for two reasons. One, because it's accurate. Sadly, right? We, I mean, you, you think of a clay pot. Well, if you leave it outside, especially here in Colorado, what's going to happen? It'll be all nice and like super terracotta looking when you first put it out there. And after about three months, it'll be a lot lighter shade of that terracotta, right? Because it weathers and it fades. And over time, it chips and it cracks and it even breaks. And that pretty well describes us, doesn't it? The other reason he describes us like that is to contrast the amazing treasure and the breakable, fragile, and fading jar that we are. The, the power to save us, the power to forgive us, doesn't come from this fragile body, this fragile life. It comes from the all-surpassing power of God. And that's why, where do we keep our focus? God wants us to keep our focus not on this, but on what's inside. Not on who we are and what we do, but on what he, who he is and what he's done. The treasure that's inside of us by faith in Jesus. And so to emphasize that, look at what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. But we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, as you hear those verses, you hear probably one of two things. These are either a really harsh reminder of life in a broken and sinful world, or an amazing reminder of God's promises and his goodness. See, because... I think probably the, the tendency, the temptation, is to keep our eyes fixed on ourselves, right? To, to make ourselves the center of the world, the center of our own universe. And if that's the case, if all I look at is myself, well, I tend to see the world very simply. And it's looking at the first phrase in every one of those statements, that we are hard-pressed on every side. Boy, I feel that one. I'm perplexed, right? I, I, don't get, I don't get what's going on in the world. I don't even get what God is doing half the time. That I'm persecuted. That I'm struck down. That I'm, man, I've taken some body blows lately. I've taken a, I've, I'm beat up. We get that, don't we? We know that feeling. Do you know why we know that feeling? Because we tend to fix our eyes on ourselves. Because we tend to look at ourselves, and as a result, our eyes are fixed on everything that we do, and as a result, and then all of the, the slights, all of the offenses, all of the struggles, all of the, oh, it's so hard. All the things we don't get, all the things we hurt. All the things that frustrate us over and over. We see all of this, this massive pile of mess that is the world. Not just the world, that is my life. Because guess where I'm looking? At me. At me all the time. My eyes are fixed on myself and this is what I see. Hardship and difficulty and pain and suffering and poor me. And it's real easy to become a victim because why wouldn't God do this? I thought God loved me. 
I thought God's in control. Why wouldn't he just make me into everything easy and, and this job to just work out? And why is this so hard? And why me? Why me? Why this? Why me? Poor me. And when our eyes are fixed on ourselves, there's only two things in life that make any, make any sense, make any difference. And it's our accomplishments and our struggles and our failures. And one leads to pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, and the other one leads to despair and hopelessness. But in either case, there's no treasure. <laughs> there's no glory, right? The high points, whew, they drop right down to low points pretty quickly. They don't last because this is what we see when we look at ourselves. When our eyes are fixed here, we are just fragile jars of clay. And the hard part is that's the way we tend to look at ourselves. And we're not unique. This group is exactly like the rest of the world because we're born into this world with an inward-focused viewpoint, looking at ourselves that we want to primarily focus and care all about me. Which brings us to our next takeaway. That my natural tendency is to focus all of my attention on myself. Right? It's not just that I, I, I glance in the mirror every now and then. It's that I'm self-focused 99 or 100% of the time. And that's the way we all tend to live. That's the way our hearts, by nature, those sinful and broken hearts, they want to focus on myself. But, but when your focus isn't on this clay jar... When your focus isn't on yourself, will you actually hear something different in those verses 8 and 9? Let's go back to those for just a second. Notice what you hear instead. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Yeah, I'm persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. All of those things remind us of something. That when the focus is on the treasure that's inside by faith, on the treasure of who God is, on what Jesus has done for me, well, there's hope. There's hope. Because, yeah, it doesn't make life easy. It doesn't take away all the problems. God never promised it would. But, while I feel the pressure, I'm not crushed. While I don't get what's going on, why this is happening, I'm not in despair. While I, I feel persecuted, I know that I am not abandoned. Notice why that is. It's because it's not about you, it's about the treasure. It's about Jesus. And here's why, our next takeaway. See, the reason that I'm not crushed or despairing or abandoned or destroyed is because Jesus was. And he was for you and for me. See, we feel the pressure, don't we? The pressure of the temptation of sin pressing on us from, with, from outside and even from within inside. We feel the, the struggle of living in a sinful world that, that seems to be going further and further away from God. We feel all of this and yet, here we are. We're not crushed. We're not broken. We're not destroyed. And you know why? Maybe those, 
those verbs, those words called, brought to mind that section from the Old Testament that we always hear right around Good Friday, right around Easter, right? Isaiah 53. Oops, sorry, it's not on there. He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Who was crushed? Not you. Jesus. Who was abandoned, right? Who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken, abandoned me? Jesus. Who was despairing in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew the agony of suffering the wrath of God for the sin of the world, your sin? Jesus. He faced all of that so that while we might be hard-pressed, while we might be perplexed, while we might suffer and struggle, you will never know what it means to be abandoned by God because Jesus was. You will never be crushed because Jesus was. You will never be in despair because Jesus was for you so that you would have hope So that you, while you face the difficulties of life, you would have something to look forward to, to fix your eyes on, to know that that is where I'm going. And it's something far greater and far better. Something without pressure. Something without the fear and the worry that goes along with with all of those struggles. Something without despair. Something without sin. Something without death. Because we have hope. And that's what Paul says in verse 10. That we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. See, we carry around with us the death of Jesus. Jesus was persecuted. He was opposed because he's God. And you, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian who has Jesus living in you by faith, the light of the world, right, in your heart, this treasure in you, well, you're going to have opposition because the world hates God. The world rejects God and wants nothing to do with God because that's what sin does. And so you're going to have opposition simply because you're a Christian. God never promised that you wouldn't face that. But what he does say is also you carry around the life of Jesus. The perfect life that Jesus lived in your place is now credited to you. God sees you as perfect, but, but not just that. It's the life that Jesus has now, too. Eternal life. Perfect life. Life in glory. Forever. That's what we carry around with us. That, that, that's what we have the hope of. So what does that look like then? What does that mean For today? What does that mean for tomorrow? How do we do this? Well, that's our our next, our next takeaway is a reminder, right? Jesus is the treasure that lives in this jar of clay. And that leads then to, what does this look like? Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, because of the treasure that we have from God, we don't lose heart. Life isn't easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a challenge. There are definitely going to be difficult days. We're going to have the pressing from all sides. We're going to have all of those struggles. But God promises they will not break you. I heard a pastor one time say these words, and they stuck with me, about this idea that we're going to face difficulty, but, but they won't break us. And here's what it means. It doesn't make life better. To have Jesus living in you by faith, to, have, to know that you're going to heaven, doesn't make life better. But it makes you better at life. It doesn't take away all the problems. It doesn't mean that you're not wasting away, as Paul says. That, that my hearing isn't going, my eyes aren't getting worse, I don't have aches and pains. No, all those things are real because we are the clay jars. But what it does mean, because I have this treasure in me, well, it means that I have forgiveness and I have hope and I have peace for, for today. And it means also what he says, that, that all the outward stuff, the stuff we see, yeah, it's breaking down and it's wearing away and all those kinds of things, but, but inside my soul, it's being renewed day by day. And I don't want you to think about a library book, like where we just take the same battered old book in and yeah, we get to keep it for another two weeks. I want you to hear renewed and think made new again. That your soul, every single day, when you wake up, you are a child of God. And you know what that means? God washes you clean. That every morning, your soul is washed and made new because of Jesus because of the treasure that lives in you, because of his perfection, you stand before God, this new and beautiful and perfect creature, every single day. That's amazing. That while we're struggling and while we're wearing down and oppressed from every side, we have this hope inside. Because God makes you and me new every single day. Now, I've talked a lot this morning, but I haven't really talked about the habit part of this, right? And the habit can't be that we bring the light into our own hearts, because we can't do that. God did it. The habit can't be that we keep, keep it there because we earn God's favor, because that doesn't work. God's love and God's favor are a gift. They aren't something we earn or work for. The habit, and it's a keystone habit, it's, it's this habit that impacts our entire lives, is what Paul describes in verse 18. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It sounds a little bit like Dr. Seussish or oxymoronic, right? Where Paul says, hey, fix your eyes on the things you can't see. How are you supposed to do that? What if you stop for just a moment and see, not with these physical eyes that take in all this stuff and look at the pile of bills and the dirty laundry and the clutter and the extra pounds and the 
the extra wrinkles and the, the sadness and the grief and the pain and the suffering. And instead of looking with those eyes that see this mess of the world that is pressing in on us from all sides, what if you see with the eyes of faith? See, as Christians, as modern Americans, really, we've become a little bit too practical and maybe even a little too cynical for our own good. Pretty much every people in the history of the world has looked for spiritual explanations to why things happen, right? The Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, everybody, they came up with, with all of these gods to explain what makes the rain come down, what makes the crops grow, what makes this, what protects us, what helps us. All of these things that they were looking for spiritual answers, spiritual explanations for. We, as modern Americans, go, oh, but we can observe everything and we have a, a natural, logical, reasonable explanation for all of this stuff. And I'm not saying ditch science and I'm not saying throw reason and logic out the window. But what if you stop completely relying on, I can see this, therefore God must not be a part of it. But what if you look with the eyes of faith, like we sang about just a few minutes ago? It reminds me of, of a Bible account from 2 Kings, where two men, the prophet Elisha, who had come right after Elijah, and his servant, they had been thwarting the Aramean army. The king of Aram was trying to attack the Israel army, and God, through Elisha, would tell the Israelite army, this is where they're going, move. And their army kept moving, and the Arameans couldn't, couldn't catch them to attack them and wipe them out. And the king of Aram got so ticked off, he said, who is betraying us? And everybody said, it's not, it's not one of us, it's that guy, Elisha, the prophet. He said, go get him. So he sent his army, and, and the army, horses and chariots, encircled the entire city where Elisha and his servant were, and they woke up and looked out the window and went, oh no. Literally, the servant freaked out. There are two of us, and there are all these horses and chariots. And this is what Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He could finally see with physical eyes what God wanted him to see with eyes of faith. What if you could look around and see just how many angels are in this room right now? What if you could see Jesus sitting right there or maybe right over there? What if you could get in the car tomorrow morning and start the white-knuckle drive and see the angel sitting in the passenger seat? What if when you prayed, you saw God reach down and take that thing that is just weighing on you and lift it off of you and take it on himself? What if when you sinned and you failed, and you went to God and said, I messed up again. Forgive me. And you saw him reach down and wipe it off your record and take a little bit of Jesus' blood and wipe you clean again. What if you saw with the eyes of faith what, what our physical eyes struggle to see? 
See, God wants us to do that, right? God wants us to fix our eyes and see him. See him and all that he does for us. See his, his goodness and his glory and his power and his mercy. To see his forgiveness in action every day in our lives. To see him forgive and protect. To not chalk it up as just luck. But to see, wow, God, God just guided that the whole way. God really brought me through another drive down Woodman Road. To see God's hand in all of these things in our lives. And to see that because God is doing that. You just can't see it with these eyes. You have to see it with the eyes of faith. So how do you do that? How do you fix your eyes? That brings us to our, our last takeaway, by the way. Number five, God wants me to see him and all that he does with eyes of faith. So this sounds good. How do we do that? How do you keep your eyes fixed on, on God, right? Because we have this world around us that, that wants to, to distract us and pull our attention and our eyes and our focus in so many different places. How do you do that? Well, here's where the habit part comes in. Because all of this is by faith, right? We sang about it. We talked about it. All of this is by faith, and God is clear. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. You can't make your faith stronger. The Holy Spirit does that. But you know how the Holy Spirit does it? Not just in a vacuum. Not just like, oh, I think I'll sprinkle a little faith dust on this guy today. The Holy Spirit works as you listen to him. The Holy Spirit works as you listen to him. And so here's where the habit comes in. Because God strengthens your faith when you listen to his word, when you read his word. So what if you took 10 minutes tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day? And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And you built this habit, and the Holy Spirit, the next, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, was strengthening your faith just a piece, a little bit at a time, over and over and over and over. To help you keep your eyes fixed, focused on Jesus, your Savior on God at work in your heart and in your life, on the treasure that you have, not on this jar of clay. It's a keystone habit, right? It's one that, that pours over and spills over into every area of your life. And so it's a habit worth doing. Now, I know some of you aren't readers, some of you aren't whatever, I get it, but we want to help you do that. So as you leave this morning, you'll find a piece of paper that looks like this because habits are successful, A, if you track them. And here's a habit tracker for fixing your eyes. That over the next 36 days, starting on Wednesday, and you can take Sunday off because you'll be here hearing the word of God. Over the next 36 days, you're going to read through the gospel of John. And you're going to hear the word of Christ. You're going to hear what God has done for you a little bit at a time. And it gives you a plan. It gives you a structure and if you want digital, you're in luck. 
I've got emails. If you want a devotional thought, you're in luck because there will be one that comes out with it. And it gives you just a little, a little piece of God and his word every single day to help keep your heart and your eyes focused on your Savior. To keep you fixed there. That in the midst of all the distractions of life, that my heart is focused where God wants it to be. Because the problems don't go away. And we're still jars of clay. None of that changes. And we can't work to earn God's favor. That's not what the habit does. But when it helps me see God and his design and his love and his will for me day after day after day after day, and it reminds me of the peace I have in my Savior day after day after day, man, I want to see what God does for a hundred people, for every one of us when we all do it together. I want to see what God does in your heart I want to see what God does in your life. I want to see what God does in our community, at your work, what God does in our church as we keep our eyes focused on him because it flows into every area of our lives. The goodness and the peace and the grace of God. So let's work at that habit. Let's take it upon ourselves to, to build a habit. Just a little piece every day for the next 36 days. Grab one of these on your way out. Watch for the email or social media stuff and do it. Let's do it together. Amen.